Well, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been considering the relationship between the kingdom and the church, the kingdom and the church. And this, of course, as we've acknowledged, is an exceedingly broad topic, uh, as broad as the Bible itself, when you get right down to it. But there are uh, immediate, uh, very contemporary reasons for thinking about the relationship between the kingdom and the church. Uh, one immediate value is that thinking about the relationship between the kingdom and the church helps us as the church to get our focus outward rather than just uh, on ourselves and, and the affairs of church. Prior to the onset of the pandemic, I know that your church session had been working on a, a study, a, a concept known as simple church. Uh, and in my experience, uh, for most churches, uh, engaging simple church is incredibly complicated. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, paradoxical that uh, simple church should, should be so difficult and, and so hard to, to grasp and, and carry through. But uh, one of the things about simple church is that its emphasis is to help, help the church get outside of the four walls of the church building and to be less preoccupied with itself and more focused, uh, as it were, on the world in which we are placed. So to think about the kingdom and the church is, uh, is to lay a strong biblical foundation, if you will, for that particular move. As uh, a fellow named Reggie McNeil pointed out many years ago, Jesus taught the church, Jesus taught his disciple band to pray, your kingdom come, uh, not your church come. So the church life, the life of the church is deeply embedded in the, in the kingdom, but it is embedded in the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom. The kingdom is in some sense uh, greater than the church. Thinking about the kingdom and the church is also important because it helps us to do one of our uh, perennial tasks, and that is to make sure that uh, our proclamation of the gospel is in accordance with Scripture. After all, the Gospels, where we read about the kingdom and learn about the kingdom, those writings open with Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus comes, he appears on the scene, and he, uh, he says, repent and uh, believe the good news. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand in, in Matthew's Gospel, typically. So, the good news that he preached was that the kingdom was at hand. That was Jesus' gospel. And whatever else that may have meant, at the very least, it was an announcement that, that God was acting in Christ in a definitive and final way to put the world to rights. To put the world to rights. But I would say in, in more recent history, and I'm not thinking, you know, the last 10 years, I'm thinking maybe the last 50 or even 100 years, in, at least in North America, the gospel has come to be understood uh, not so much about putting the world to rights, but as a, a comforting word about our departure from this world. I, once, uh, I was once in a church where they, they had the custom that the minister would, during the sermon, would actually kind of wander around in, you know, come down out of the pulpit from the safety of the pulpit and wander among the people and ask questions. And I would have, you know, if I were sitting there, I would have found that terribly in intimidating. But uh, 
Anyway, I, I adapted to that. And uh, in that church, one Sunday, I asked, and it was a big church. There were probably two or 300 people there. And I said, uh, if, if you could summarize the, what is the, if someone asked you, what is the Bible? And you had one sentence to answer, what would you say? And of course, there's this deathly silence. Uh, but you get that many people together, and there's always at least one person who is, is bold enough to answer. And on that occasion, uh, a, very, a very godly man, in fact, a retired minister, he shouted out, the Bible is basic information before leaving earth. The B-I-B-L-E, basic information before leaving earth. So if, if somebody asks you, give me a sentence, what's the Bible about basic information before leaving earth? Uh, well, there's some important information there you might want to know before leaving earth, but is that what the Bible is about? Is that the gospel? Is the gospel just, well, you, you, know, you want to go to heaven when you die, don't you? So pray this prayer. Is that the gospel? Is that putting the world to rights? Is it not more about leaving this world? So thinking about the kingdom and the church is a, a way to re-examine what is, it that we, what is the gospel that we share? Is it just about making sure you go to heaven when you die? Well, we've looked during this past uh, season at the church as a, a band of Christ followers who understand that they are to be three things, witnesses to the kingdom, evidences of the kingdom, and agents of the kingdom. And we understood agents of the kingdom to be people who are authorized to act in Jesus' name. And it's really important to remember that these are not so much imperatives. You know, here's another job for you to do. Go out and be a witness. Uh, go out and be a sign. Uh, go out and be an agent. This is your, you know, this is your duty. This is the command. Go be these things. These are not so much imperatives, but they are indicatives. Jesus said to his disciples before his ascension, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That's what will happen. You will be, you'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus did not command the disciples first to be the salt and the light of the world. He said, you are the salt and the light of the world, and if, if they weren't salty salt, if their light was under a bushel, they weren't of much use. These three dimensions, uh, witnesses, evidences, and agents, they are intertwined, uh, but we can, we can still get a handle on them, I think. But this morning, I want to turn your attention to Jesus' language about how we engage the kingdom how we interact with the kingdom. And here things become more difficult. They become more difficult. And to help us appreciate this difficulty, I, I want to briefly share uh, a rather famous drawing. And if, uh, if you see this, this drawing, maybe we can have that up on the screen uh, at this point. This is known as the infamous duck rabbit. It's called the duck rabbit. Um, if you look at it for a while, it, it appears to shape shift on you from a duck to a rabbit or vice versa. Sometimes people see the rabbit first. You know, people see what they see first, but it, it shifts shapes. 
and it's virtually impossible for most people to lock it down. It just keeps shifting. So if we can uh, move on from that and think about the kingdom, the duck rabbit reminds us that God has wired us in such a way that we, we engage the world through patterns. Our, our brains form patterns, and, we, and this is a wonderful mercy to us that we don't have to figure out everything every day, de novo. We see something, oh, I know what that is. Uh, God has, has wired us to engage the world through patterns, and, and if our brains, if you will, uh, they're not content. They're not content to have ambiguity. They want, they want things nailed down. They want things to be clear. Uh, but the duck rabbit is ambiguous, and there is a sense in which the kingdom of God is a bit elusive in the same way that the, the duck rabbit is elusive. And I want to, to keep that in mind as we read today's scriptures. First one from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11, which anticipates the gospel reading, where Isaiah says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then uh, when we go to the reading from the gospel according to Mark, the picture of the shepherd carrying the lambs, embracing them in his arms uh, is carried over into that reading. So let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. And as we read, I, I want you to note the, the kind of language that's used to talk about how we engage or interact with the kingdom of God. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So there's one other passage. We'll look at that in a, a moment or two. But if you, if you recall the, the words of Jesus to his uh, disciples, rebuking them for restraining the children from coming to him, he talked about the kingdom of God. And he uses some language that point us to the character of the kingdom of God and, and point us to the kingdom of God in a way that reminds us of, of mystery. So that on the one hand, the kingdom of God is a gift. It's something that people may possess. It, it's something that people may say, this belongs to me. That was early on in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Belongs to them. They possess it in some way. And here in Mark chapter 10, the kingdom of God belongs to the likes of the little children. Don't hinder the children coming to me because the kingdom of God belongs to the likes of them. And by that, he does not mean the kingdom of God belongs to adults who are childlike. 
though it is important that adults be childlike in receiving the kingdom of God, because he is, he is upset that, this, that the disciples kept the children from him. And he wasn't saying, oh, you've ruined a terrible, you've ruined a perfectly good object lesson for me. That's not his concern. His concern is that uh, these little ones uh, to whom the kingdom of God belongs, uh, who, who possess the kingdom, uh, are being kept from the king. He's upset about that. The kingdom of God belongs to the likes of them. So the kingdom of God is something that is offered to us in a way that we may receive it. Receive meaning, uh, probably most accurately, welcome. Whoever does not welcome the kingdom of God, like a little child might welcome it, uh, will never enter it. But on the other hand, since Jesus says the kingdom of God is theirs, and they receive the kingdom as a gift. Jesus says in, in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 6, when uh, he talks about the, the disciples seeking the kingdom in, in that uh, account of the Sermon on the, on the Plain, he says, seek the kingdom. Uh, Fear not, little flock, for your, your heavenly Father uh, desires to give you the kingdom. So you have kingdom as possession, kingdom as a gift to be received, but the kingdom is also a realm. People can be close to it. The kingdom of God is at hand. There was a scribe who asked Jesus a question about the great commandment, and they uh, exchanged their answers, and Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. So it's possible to be close to the kingdom. It's a realm of some kind. And there are those we, we, we learn who will never enter it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So we have this uh, situation where we might think it's a little bit like the duck rabbit. Is it a gift? Is it a possession? Or is it a realm? Is it something we take in or something that we go into? Very strange. Something of a mystery. Though, though there are certainly clues that help us move in, in the direction of some approach to a resolution. In Mark chapter 9 and 10, this uh, passage where we've read about Jesus and the children, there are three different references to entering the kingdom. And when we, we look at those, uh, I'm going to call your attention to them. I think it gives us a, a, a basis for talking a little more carefully about well, what exactly is the kingdom? How can it be both a gift and something that we enter? In, at the end of Mark chapter 9, Jesus is uh, he's warning his disciples against putting stumbling blocks before those who are small, either little children or little ones in the faith. Jesus says in verse 43 of chapter 9, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to fall, to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So notice the first two 
Uh, it's better to enter life. It's better to enter life. It's better to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is life. The kingdom of God is life. And then he goes on and says, uh, salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. So there's something about uh, being salt of the earth, light of the world, that's tied in with the way we enter the kingdom of God. And then you, uh, the uh, blessing of the children is followed by the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler approaches Jesus with a very specific question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus eventually gets to the place where he says, uh, there's one thing you need to do, you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, come and follow me. And of course the, the young man goes away sad, he goes away dismayed, grieving because he had many possessions. He was not willing to part with them that he might have treasure in heaven. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The question, how do I inherit eternal life? The answer, come and follow me. Uh, the man rejects that and Jesus says it's hard to have eternal life. So the kingdom of God Clearly, in these three narratives that are joined closely together in not just Mark, but also Matthew and Luke, the kingdom of God is revealed to us as everlasting life, which is something that we receive as a gift. If we receive it in the right way, yeah. and it is also a realm that we enter of, of rich blessing, so that in a, in a way it's a bit like the duck rabbit, but then in a way it is, it is not because it is, it is the gift of life. It is the realm where God reigns, where he is putting the world to rights and bringing it to his intended purposes and, and goals for it. Let me suggest uh, just a, a way into this for, for further reflection that if we, if we say, well, what is the secret here? How can it be that um, I receive this and it brings me into a, a, a realm of blessing? One, one possible way into it, and it is not the only way, but it, it, uh, it's consistent with what Jesus teaches about the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom is like the planting of seed. The seed is the word of God. And it is... It is out of the seed of the word of God that new life is, is created. The sower sows the word. He puts it in good soil and it springs up and it, it brings a crop. It, uh, it brings a world of abundance. It, it, uh, it establishes a, a realm of, of the power, the power of God is at work to, to bring great blessing. So that's, that's one way of thinking uh, about how can this be both gift and realm? It is out of the seed of the word of God that, that new life is created and a new order of things begins to take shape. Let me close by uh, making one last comment. That since it is a possession and since it is a realm, but yet it is not fully here, 
it is also spoken of as an inheritance. So in the biblical language for how we interact with the kingdom is uh, we receive it, we enter it, and the third is that we inherit it. And I'd like to, uh, to read a text where Jesus addresses that, and that is from Matthew chapter 25, the famous parable about the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Something, something to think about as uh, we go into the week. It's often, it's often been the experience of Christians in North America to have sort of a, an either-or between uh, getting people the gospel and, and getting them you know, saved you know, getting Jesus into their hearts as their personal savior so that when they die, they're going to go to heaven and, and care for the, the poor and the needy and the least of these. So, that, well, you know, that's important, but that's not the main thing is getting, you know, getting people converted so they go to heaven when they die. That's the real gospel, and this other stuff is peripheral. But if you think about the gospel of the kingdom, that's a false dichotomy, and it uh, they go together. You can't, you can't eliminate the issue of what will happen when you die and just say, well, we're going to do good works. But neither should you engage in good works uh, if the seed of the gospel and the new creation has not been planted in your hearts and nurtured and embraced and welcomed. Amen. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for your kingdom. We are grateful that children, children have not lost a sense of, the, of enchantment with the world and that their vision of what the world might turn out to be is far greater than ours who, who have uh, accepted the limitations of, of this world. And so we pray that you would make us like children in dreaming of the glories of our inheritance and setting our hearts on a better country and a better kingdom. And we pray that your church may continue to point the world to that. In Jesus' name, amen.